Here's the definition of potential. It means a latent excellence or ability that may or may not be developed. A latent excellence or ability that may or may not be developed. And you know we have to have a video about potential. So check out this man's potential. Your footsteps register as earthquakes on seismological equipment. Are you tired of waiting for that phone call from the biggest loser? despicable? Not for long with the Samsonite Cellulite Accretion Removal System. Invented by Samson himself, SCARS is the premier workout system that gets real results. You can get over 30 workouts, including lion splitting, temple collapsing, and donkey jaw philistine thrashing. This workout will Chicks dig SCARS. Chicks dig scars. Potential. Uh, every February, there is National Signing Day. Anybody know what National Signing Day is? College football fans, what is National Signing Day? It's where high school players declare their intention to go to a certain school. So these coaches spend hours and hours, days and days and weeks and weeks following these 18-year-olds trying to sign them. And what they're trying to do is get the most five-star athletes. And, and so they, they have these whole grading systems and everything. And, uh, every year at, at February 4th, they have a, um, uh, kind of a national championship of the signings. And, and it's just, it's great. I hate it actually. But all of these colleges get all excited because their school has the potential to be good based on a bunch of 18 year olds. And you're graded. If you're a national champion in your, in your recruits, you have the most five-star athletes, but but potential is um, uh, potential is very hard to recognize. Some things fall through, right? Have you ever heard of uh, Sam Bradford? Have you heard of Colt McCoy? Sam Bradford plays for Oklahoma. Colt McCoy plays for Texas. These guys, Sam won the Heisman Trophy this last year, and Colt McCoy got the second highest uh, vote total for the Heisman Trophy award. These guys, I went back and I checked. These guys were three-star recruits out of high school. Three stars means you're really pretty average, just a little bit above average. Nobody saw that these two guys were going to be the greatest uh, quarterbacks in college football in the land. Nobody saw that a couple of years ago. So potential is this thing that, that we've got to... Uh, we, we really have to, to uh, be careful with potential because remember, potential means you may or may not develop that ability. Now, everybody here has potential. In fact, in your seat today, there are three people sitting. Three people are occupying your seat right this moment. There's the person you are today. 
based on all of your past, based on the peaks and valleys, everything that you've been through, the good and the bad, there's the person that you are today. But also sitting in your seat is the person you could be with God's help. One year ago today, who could have imagined some of you that are sitting here right now? Last year, we, we opened this building on May 4th. Some of you have never, had never heard of New Life Community Church. Some of you were, were very far from God at that time. Imagine a year ago, could you imagine some of the people that are here that are in the band? How about the dude that's running our sound system? Justin's running our sound system. One year ago today, who would have imagined that, that he would have given his heart to God and God would be using? Who would have imagined that some of you, some of you that we've baptized, incredible stories that we've got to get on video so that you can hear some of these stories of the people we've baptized just in the last couple of months. No one would have guessed one year ago today that you would be here because of God's influence in your life. So also in your seat is the person you could be with God. You plus God is, is, is a majority. You, you plus God equals unlimited potential. But there's a third person occupying your seat today. And that's the person you will be if you go your own way without God. Go back one year ago today. We were just finishing up in the old building. We were about to move in here. Some people that were here a year ago have turned their backs on God. Now, some people went for other reasons. They moved and various things like that. But some people one year ago today walked away from God. And some of them are literally in prison. They're in prison right now as we talk about this. Some people are figuratively in prisons right now because of choices that they made. See, potential means that, that you have the possibility for good, but you may not reach that potential. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the Bible. According to the Bible, everybody here has potential, God-given potential to do things that you could not do on your own. And we're going to look at a story of wasted potential. Probably one of the greatest tragedies in all of the Bible. We're going to look at the story of Samson today. Now, Samson, we find him in the book of Judges. That's in the Old Testament. And about halfway through the book, a little over halfway through the book, we come to Samson. Samson's name means sunshine or sunny. Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness. Samson was the dude that walked in the room and everybody checked him out. He had this bubbly personality. He was the life of the party. All of the women said, hmm, hmm, when Samson came walking by. Now, you got to understand, the book of Judges, what's happening in the book of Judges is the, the Israelites are supposed to be going into the promised land. You remember, we've talked about Moses led them out of Egypt. Moses died. He didn't get going to go in the promised land. Joshua led them from that time. When you get to the book of Judges, first uh, chapter in Judges, Joshua dies, and everybody's supposed to go. There's 12 tribes. They're supposed to go occupy the promised land, promised by God. And God said, if you will follow me, I'll drive out all of your enemies before you. They didn't follow God. They went their own way. And so God allowed it just over and over in the book of Judges. You need to read this book, a great book. Over and over, God allowed foreign enemies to overtake the Israelites because they did not follow God. They did not chase after their God-given potential. And so in this instance, the Philistines uh, are, are the ones that, that God is raising Samson up as a judge. And all a judge means is a leader. For a short amount of time, so a certain period of time, God raises up a leader to help overthrow the uh, the foreign oppressors. The foreign oppressors are the Philistines. So let's pick it up in Judges 13.1. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look through. There's a lot of material on Samson, so we're going to really uh, fly through this. But you can fly through it with me in, in your Bible. 
Judges 13.1. Again, the people of Israel did what the Lord said was wrong. <laughs> this is the theme in, in Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So again, the people of Israel did what the Lord said was wrong. So he handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. Now, every time God allowed somebody to dominate the Israelites, his chosen people, he always was at work in the background. We don't see that. And if you were living at that time, you would think, oh, God has left us. We are desolate. But God always is involved in the lives of his people. So we come to verse 5, and we find out that the angel of the Lord appears to Samson's mom. We don't know her name, but she was the wife of Manoah. So Samson's dad was Manoah. These were godly people. They'd been praying, and look what the Lord, uh, angel of the Lord says to her in verse 5. You will become pregnant and have a son. This is huge because the Bible tells us that, that she was barren. She was unable to get pregnant. In those days, you were considered cursed by God if you could not have children. So she's barren, but she's a praying woman. Her husband's a praying man. God appears to them in, in the form of an angel. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but the angel says, you're going to get pregnant. This was big news, but look what he says. You must never cut his hair because he will be a Nazarite. And yes, that is spelled correctly. Jeff asked me if that was spelled. It looks weird, doesn't it? You will, he will be a Nazarite, given to God from birth. He will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. All right, this Nazarite thing, this is very important in the story of Samson in his wasted potential. If you go back to um, Numbers chapter 6, God gives instructions to Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those were written by Moses. Big Mo was the big guy in the people of Israel. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Well, you go back to one of Big Mo's writings, and Mo tells us what the Nazarite vow is. He says this is a temporary, normally it's a temporary vow, and, and the outward symbols that I'm going to tell you about in just a second really don't mean anything unless they're... Uh, connected to an inner commitment to God. So this this was a decision. I'm going to follow God. I'm so serious about it. I'm going to take the Nazarite vow. Most of the time it's a temporary vow. And, and I'm going to abstain from three different things so that I can show everyone around, not that I'm great, but that I am committed to God. This is how serious I am. So it would be like my ring. My wedding ring is an outward symbol of an inner commitment I've made to Janie as my one and only wife. These Nazarite vows were outward symbols of an inner commitment. All right, here they are. Number one, no grape products. No grape products. Now, no grapes, no grape juice, nor anything made from grapes, nor anything fermented by grapes. What would that be? Wine, no wine. In fact, it was such a big deal, grapes were not even to touch a Nazarite's skin. Got it? No grapes. Second thing, no touching dead things. Originally, this was thought to be just uh, dead people, but, but because this was a ceremonially uh, clean thing or unclean thing, anything dead, if you touched it, you were ceremonially unclean and you had to do these things to get clean before God. I'm, I praise God we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace in the New Testament. But, but he couldn't touch anything dead. Number three, no cutting hair ever. Now, for a Nazarite, generally, this was just the time of the vow. If you took the vow for a month or one year or whatever, you didn't cut your hair during that time. But God said, uh, Noah, God said that Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite from, from the time he was born until he died. So none of these things were supposed to be violated. All right. Now, Samson was chosen to lead the, the Israelites out from under bondage of the Philistines. I've got to tell you about the Philistines, give you a little bit of background here. They were ruthless pagans. They were the strongest military force facing the Israelites as they tried to occupy the promised land. Um, and they worshipped multiple gods 
and practiced all kinds of religious rituals which God had forbidden. We'll talk about some of those in just a minute. So God's instructions as they were going into the promised land when Joshua was still the leader, He said, do not mess with strange peoples, strange gods. Do not mess with those people. Now, have you ever been told not to mess with something? When I was eight or nine, we went to visit some friends of ours in in Oklahoma. They lived in Oklahoma City at the time. And uh, these were longtime family friends. My mom and dad just hung out with them all the time. So we go, and they had four children. My mom and dad had four children. And, and everybody except me corresponded with one of their children. I was like the last one. And so nobody was around when we went to visit these people. And I hated what we did because all of the old people sat around visiting. Now, I, I like visiting nowadays, but back then I didn't like visiting. So I was bored to tears. Now, they had this big chain-link fence in the backyard, and they said, go play in the backyard. There's like, get, because I was one of those rambunctious little kids that should have been beaten repeatedly, but I wasn't, so I was rotten. They said, get out. Stay inside the fence. And the one thing they told me, one thing, don't mess with the dog next door. The dog next door was a Dalmatian. I'd never seen a Dalmatian in, per- in person before. It captivated me. And so I would walk along the fence, dragging my hand along the fence. And of course, I didn't know at that time that, you know, there are certain signs a dog gives you that whether they're going to kill you or not. But I didn't know those signs. And so I'm walking along, I'm dragging my finger. Nobody's looking outside because they're visiting. Dragging my fingers along the fence and the dog's walking along beside me. And I'm going, this is pretty cool. Dog's not me, not barking. Now, I look back in my memory and I see the hair sticking up on its neck and stuff, but I didn't know those signs. So I do this and then I stop and the dog would stop. And I and I was smart enough, you know, I knew that you're supposed to stick your hand out and let the dog sniff it. And if the dog doesn't eat it, then you're okay. You can pet the dog. So through the fence, I stick my hand up there and the dog sniffs. Doesn't bark. Like sweet. So I stick my fingers through and I start scratching it. You know, got the chain link. Nobody's looking. My parents don't know what they're talking about. This dog is a friendly dog. So I'm hanging out, man. I'm loving this dog, and this Dalmatian is a great dog. I got so so uh, comfortable with my new friend that I stuck my hand over the fence. This is about a three foot chain link fence in the armpit. This dog is good. So I stick my belly on the fence and I'm doing both hands. I don't know what possessed me, but I grabbed the Dalmatian by the head and I stuck its head right there on my forehead. And I said, hello, puppy. <laughs> Evidently, my, my accent, my Texas accent didn't go well in Oklahoma City because the dog ate my face. I, I the dog comes up, grabs my whole face in its mouth. Ah! Now, it had to be a semi-friendly dog because in all honesty, it didn't do, I didn't have to go to the hospital. You'd think it would have ripped my face off, but it just did a little bit of damage. There were some bite marks here. But if you've ever had a dog on your face, that is not a pleasant thing to have on your head. And so I'm freaking out. The parents come out and, and, uh, I don't know if I ever told them all the truth. I don't think I did. Um, but I learned that day 
don't mess with strange dogs. I learned a valuable lesson many, many years ago. Well, what God had said to the Israelites was, don't mess with strange gods. Because, now this is lowercase. Anytime I talk about any other God than, than the God, it's lowercase g. God has said, don't mess with strange gods because they will be a trap for you. If you try to make a pet out of sin, it will bite you 100% of the time. So God said, don't jack with the people in the promised land. Don't mess with their gods. Samson was much like me. At least, no, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, um, as far as his cozying up to things. You see, Samson had potential. And the thing is, you and I have potential. Potential means you've not done anything yet. But potential means that with God, you can accomplish great things. If God sees your potential, you know who else sees your potential? Satan. Why do you think it's so hard to get here on Sunday mornings? Why is it more difficult to get to church on Sunday mornings than it is to go to work on Monday morning? Because Satan desperately wants you not to hang out with the people of God. Any t- <laughs> All right, we have a testimony. If you've ever had conflict in your home on Sunday morning, if you've ever. <laughs> Satan wants you, if, you're, if your potential is going to be stirred, he will bring all hell against you because he does not want to see another person following God because lives get changed when someone goes with God. Well, God tells them to set Samson apart and they do. And see, here's the deal. You got to remember this. Satan can't make you miss your potential. Satan didn't make Samson miss his potential. What Satan does is he sets up the scenario and he, he customizes it for you to steer you away from your potential. Let's see what happened with Samson. Judges 14.1 Samson went down to the city of Timnah where he saw a Philistine woman. Samson lived up in the hills and the Philistines were literally, physically down in the valley. So he went down to Timnah. But it's more than a physical down into the valley. Morally, spiritually, these people were dark. These people were ruthless. So he goes down to Timnah. And what do you think he saw in Timnah? If you have a he-man with a she-weakness, what do you think he saw in Timnah? He saw a chick. If you want to ruin your life, then you need to follow the same steps that, that Samson did. You need to go down to Timnah. Let's, that's, just, that's the first way of how you miss your potential is you go down. Now, from the Israelites' perspective, nothing good happened in Timnah. Samson went down and saw a woman, not any woman, a Philistine woman. Now, Philistine women were known to be loose women. They, they were not nearly as uh, prudent as the Jewish women. If you could take the way a typical American woman dresses, compare that to the ultra-religious Muslim woman, you see there's quite a difference, right? There's a huge difference. So if you got a he-man with a she-weakness and he wants to see some skin, where do you go? To Timnah. You go down to Timnah. Watch out for that Timnatation. I didn't know if that would work at all, but you, you caught it. Okay. Y'all are, y'all are pretty smart. 
Now, they believed in some really whack stuff. They believed in these fertility gods. Now, if you believe in a fertility god, then, then somehow, <laughs> I don't, somehow, if you believe in a fertility god, then, then your temple worship in, involves prostitution. That's a great way to attract a bunch of men to church, but not to please God. See, I'm not sure where all that came from, and I can't even go there because, all right, we'll, we'll talk later, uh, Jenny. Because the stuff that just went through my mind should not be repeated in a sermon. Um, go down to Timnah. When you go the wrong places, you meet the wrong people, and you'll spend your life pursuing the wrong purpose. Now let's see what the right purpose is. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. You are not the same as those who do not believe. Paul is writing this letter to people in Corinth. These are Christians he's writing to. You Christians are not the same. He's not saying you're, you're, you have this superior attitude, but you're different because you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So do not join yourselves to them. To who? To non-Christians. The Bible's very clear. Christians are not to marry non-Christians. Good and bad do not belong together. Light and darkness cannot share together. It's clearly instructed. Is this because he hates unbelievers? Well, no. Jesus died on the cross for unbelievers. We started this church for people who are far from God. God doesn't hate unbelievers. This is logical. You want to talk about checking your brain in and thinking about these things? Imagine if you had a car. I've been thinking this through. If you had a car and it had one steering wheel in the middle and you had two people there, and, and I guess you could have two brakes and two accelerator pedals. But but you have... Can you imagine the chaos on a road? we got people that can't drive with one steering wheel where it needs to be. You get two people who have opposing views of where you should go? That's chaos. The Bible says if a Christian hooks up with a non-Christian, that's what it's like. And And this is even logical for a non-Christian. If you're a non-Christian, I don't know why you'd want to marry a Christian. Because you're going to spend all of your time with different destinations. You're going to try to figure out, where do I spend my time? Well, a Christian, we teach. The Bible teaches that you're supposed to give some of your time to church. Well, if you're a non-Christian, I don't know why you'd go to church unless you were empty and then you want to hear about God. That makes sense to me. But then you give some of your money to the church if you're a Christian. If you're a non-Christian, I don't know why you want to give money to those. Because that's the number one complaint about church is all they want is my money. So you're going to have all you're going to have different ideas about how you raise your kids, about what kind of things you see, what you listen to. It just makes sense logically. And the Bible says, "Do not hook up with unbelievers." Well, Samson knows what God says. He knows I'm not supposed to jack with the Philistine women. So what does he do? He goes down to Timnah. Went away from where God wanted him to go. He sees a girl and he comes back to his parents and he says, "I found the one She's, I remember when I called my mom and said, hey, y'all need to come meet Janie. I'd never done that before. So mom's freaking out. Mom thought I was going to get married before I got out of high school. Then when I got out of college and I didn't get married for several years, she thought I wasn't going to get married. And so she and all her friends are praying, you know, oh, please, send Doug a woman. Help him have a brain. You know, that type of deal. And when she came to meet Janie, that was a big deal. I had invited Janie to go home with me to Borger. I had never taken a girl to Borger. This was a big deal for me. Um, Samson was smitten, and he goes back and he says, I found the one. And his parents are like, sweet, 
Where is she? In Timna. Janie was in Huntsville at the time. In college, my dad always would say, are you going to prison to see your girl? <laughs> no, Dad. Um, I'm the one that was in prison. She wasn't. Um, I, not prison. I did go to jail a couple of times. <laughs> so I question her choice in men. But uh, anyway, so he says she's in Timna. And his parents are godly people. And they say, isn't there a good Jewish girl? I mean, if you read through isn't there a woman among the Jews? And he's like, nope, she's the one. Go get her for me. And I just can't imagine the parents of Samson having to watch their son go down. Now, because there's times you've got to release them to the consequences of their decisions. And his parents watched him go down. Now, in that culture, the way you got married was your parents arranged. They would get together and they would have these negotiations. And so that's what happens. He goes down to Timnah and he takes his parents to make these negotiations. They let him make this choice. And uh, <laughs> the, the, the deal is, Timnah was only four miles from where Samson grew up. Temptation starts small. Satan wants to get you off just a little bit. So that before long, you're way out there and you don't even know where God is. You don't even know where your potential is with God. It starts so small. Well, he was smitten, so his parents go down to, to uh, arrange this marriage. Somewhere in verse 5 of this deal, his parents must have gone on because Satan, I think he had, uh, Satan, Samson had ADD. He just couldn't concentrate on one thing at a time. So his parents go on and the Bible tells us that Samson sees a vineyard. What's Nazarite vow number one? No grape products. He goes into the vineyard. Do you know why I go down the bluebell aisle at Walmart? It, it's not to smell it. It's not to look at it. It's not even to touch the little ice crystals formed on the side of the container. If I go down the bluebell aisle, I'm buying bluebell. Why was Samson in the vineyard? He wanted some grapes. Now, while he's there, this is the second time he's gone down to Timnah. While he's there, a lion jumps out. And I was thinking about this, and that that's the only reason I buy Bluebell is because the lion of temptation jumps out and eats my brain. No. He's there, and a lion jumps out. This is real. This is true. The lion, and, and because he was such a he-man, the Bible says that he rips the lion apart with his bare hands, and he throws it down, and he forgets about it. He, as far as we know, he didn't touch any grape products. He goes on into Timnah and he talks to the girl and he goes home. Now, in this culture, when you had a wedding, there would be about eight weeks between that arrangement and the wedding. So he goes back home. Doesn't think much about it. Then he's going to come back. He goes down to Timnah a third time. What's outside of Timnah? A vineyard. Where was he the time before? The vineyard. He turns into the vineyard because he's curious. He just wants to look at the bluebell. He walks in there and he hears buzzing. And when I hear buzzing, I want to know where the source is so I can stay away from it. He heard buzzing and he looked and the bees had formed a honeycomb inside the lion he had killed. What's Nazarite vow number two? Don't touch, touch dead stuff. Don't touch. That's East Texas. Don't touch dead stuff. So what's he do? It's only honey... Disney World has the adventures of Winnie the Pooh ride. It can't be that bad. 
He goes up and he eats some honey. Somehow his parents aren't with him again because the Bible says he takes some of the honey and he gives it to his parents. But he does not tell them where it came from. People in Timna have big butts. B-U-T. People who hang out in Timna, but it's not my fault. But I couldn't help it. I mean, you should have seen her. She was hot. My pants just fell off. I had a girl at Baylor tell me that one time. We were in a discussion group and, and she said, sometimes you just can't help having sex. I was a freshman at Baylor University. And I, this incredulous look came across my face and I said, what? And I quoted one of Chuck Washburn's rules for life. If you keep your pants zipped, you'll never get a girl pregnant. I lived by that rule until I got married. He was right. Sometimes, but, but I couldn't help it. But, but, but people in Timna got big butts. And that's, that's one clue to whether someone's living in Timna is if they're blaming everybody else for their sorry choices. So you go down, you mess around, you look around. That's the second thing is you look around. You don't touch anything dead. He touches dead stuff. This is the second way we get in trouble. We ruin our potential. It's bad enough that we go down morally to these places, but we hang around and we look around. Something catches our attention. Sin starts in the mind, guys. God did create us as visual people. Sin always starts in the mind. It always starts with a thought. we got to protect our thoughts. That's why the Bible says to renew your mind. You don't resist temptation. The Bible doesn't say resist temptation. It says resist Satan. What the Bible says is you replace temptation. You got something in your mind, the way you deal with that is you put God's Word in there. You put truth in there. You use God's Word as a filter. You don't have a problem with sinning. What we do, though, is we dwell on the thought until we do some kind of action. Now, see, Satan's way too smart to hit us with this frontal attack. He doesn't come up and say, see that woman over there with 16 children all from different men and her teeth are falling out of her head because she's addicted to to meth? That could be you! If you'll only sacrifice your virginity on the altar of some young man's lust. That could be you. He doesn't do that. Now, Satan's way too smart. What Satan does, he comes up and whispers in your ear. God's too restrictive. Your parents don't know what's best for you. You need to take control of your life. Just this once, have sex. It'll be worth it. Just this once, go down to Timna. Just this once, give in. Just go and have fun and be in control of your life. That's what Satan says, and we buy that trash. Satan always promises freedom, but his promises lead to bondage. We're going to see that. Ruining your potential always starts with going down, looking around, but it leads to number three. You will be found. When you go down and look around, you'll eventually fall asleep morally. You'll, you'll flip off the switch. You'll hit the snooze button spiritually and you will violate the principles of God. And you never, never expect 
the blessing of God when you violate the principles of God. Do not expect that. Why is your life not all it could be this morning? Because you've snoozed spiritually. You've fallen asleep morally. You've looked around, and that's a recipe for missing what God has for you. Now, when we pick up the story with Sonny, Sunshine, Samson, he's going back to his wedding feast. Now, my bachelor party, my brother, my sister and brother-in-law and their kids were at my house, and my bachelor party, I was at home by 9 o'clock that night, and we watched a little TV. I went to bed at 10. That was my bachelor party. Um, but in these days, you didn't have a bachelor party. You had a week of bachelor parties. Seven days of feasting, drinking, party. The problem was Samson was in Timnah. He didn't have any friends in Timnah. I don't think Samson had any friends at all. So his this woman that he his parents had arranged for him to marry, they provide 30 Philistine dudes for him to hang out with and have seven days of feasting with. Well, feasting involved. Eating all you could do, all, all you could handle. Drinking all you could handle. So there you go, violating that, that Nazarite vow not to have any great products. I figure... Samson was a little bit drunk because then he comes up with a bet. I, I don't, nobody here has ever gotten drunk and bet somebody something really stupid. I know. So this is just, this applies to people that are in other churches here today, uh, in this city, but not to this church. So he bets them. Let's look at what happens. Judges 4.14. Out of the, oh, this is a riddle. Out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet. Now you know the riddle because you've been paying attention. Samson, though, um, he got a little loose lip because he'd been drinking, and he says, all right, here's the bet. If you can solve my riddle, then you get 30 pairs of underwear and 30... I, I'm, I'm not making this up. It was undergarments, but underwear. That works better for us. So you get 30 pairs of fruit and looms, and you get 30 festival clothes. You got the formal things that you can go party with, looking good. He said, but if you can't solve the riddle, then you owe me 30 pairs of underwear and 30 pairs of garment clothes. Well, three days, they can't solve the riddle. What's that? I don't know. So they go to his soon-to-be wife, and they say, you better tell us. And they said, or we will burn you and your whole family. So she starts pestering him. The Bible says that by the seventh day, because by sundown on the seventh day, what would happen is that's the end of the feast. He would march in this processional over to get his bride, bring her back to his home or his tent, and consummate the marriage, and they would be married. So on the seventh day before sunset, before he's going to go have his wife and, and consummate the marriage, he gives in because it, the Bible says she nagged him to death. Nobody's ever experienced that, but that's what the Bible says. Nagged him to death. He tells her, she tells them, they come and they say, oh, what's, what's sweeter than honey and what's stronger than a lion? And one of my favorite verses of the Bible, he says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. He's calling her a cow... Not a good thing to do on your uh, wedding night. And he's calling them um, cattle rustlers. They find it out. He gets mad. So what he does is he goes out and, and he pouts and, and uh, oh man, he's, he's a powder. He comes back later and he wants to, uh, this is months later, he goes and pouts. He gets mad and he goes and pouts. Comes back months later and, and he wants to have his wife. But what happened was, in those days, if you left a woman at the altar, that was unheard of. So he gave Samson's future wife to the best man who wasn't really the best man, but he consummates marriage. Samson's ticked. You know what he did? He goes and gets foxes, 300 foxes, ties them together, lights the torches and sets them out in the crops. Burns all the crops down of the Philistine fields around Timnah. 
The Philistines say, who did this? It was Samson. Why did he do it? Because you gave his wife to someone else. So what they did, they went and got Samson's ex-not-father-in-law and his ex-not-wife. They burn them. Samson hears about it. He kills all these Philistines. Then he goes and he pouts some more. He's sitting in this, this cleft of the rock, pouting, and the, the Philistines gather an army to come get him. Well, now this is the interesting part to me. The Israelites don't even consider talking to God in this situation. They don't even consider asking God what they should do. The Israelites get 30, uh, 3,000 men. They come out and they say, Hey, Samson, don't you know the Philistines rule over us? Not that we're the chosen people of God. The Philistines rule over us. What are you doing, dude? They want you. And we want to give you to them so we don't have any problems. And he said, Okay, I'll let you tie me up if you promise you won't kill me. They said, We won't kill you. So they tie him up. And go out, Oh, the Philistines, yay! Our God, Dagon, he, he overruled... The Israelites' God, our, Dagon, our God Dagon, has has provided this victory for us. Samson, walking out, they're cheering. Bing, 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 bing. He just pops off all the ropes. And the Bible, the Bible says he picks up the jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand Philistines. First time in recorded history that someone opened up a can of. That's the King James version. First, first time, open up a can. So that's what it feels like to open up a can. Samson kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And then he goes off and he pouts some more. You sense a theme here? In chapter 16, Samson goes down again. This time he gets found by a prostitute. The more you go down, the lower your standards get. He gets found by a prostitute. They try to catch him. He finds out they're going to try to catch him at midnight. He goes, he takes the gates of the city, which was like the symbol of your protection. Gates of the city, carries them up on a mountain, throws them down. Then he goes down again. And the last step of ruining your God-given potential is to get bound. You will be found. You will get bound. This is the saddest chapter in, in Samson's life. He falls for a girl named Delilah. You know what Delilah means? Devotee. She was probably one of those temple prostitutes at the temple of Dagon. The devil offers us freedom if we'll go down and look around. But sin always blinds us, binds us, and eventually will grind toxic waste into your life. And that's what we're going to see in Samson's life. I've talked to a lot of folks who've slept in the wrong bed and their sin blinded them to the truth. And eventually they got bound by their sin. And then it began grinding junk into their lives. The leaders of the Philistines desperately want Samson, so they bribed Delilah with somewhere between three to $5,000. We don't know the exact amount. We just know it was a ton of cash back in the day. They said, find out his strength. You see, they were they worshipped all these gods and they were very superstitious, so they thought that Samson's great strength came from some magical spell. And they said, Delilah, get us get us the secret spell we got to do to uh, to make him weak. So when Samson starts jacking with Delilah and just telling her all kinds of stupid stuff, they fall for it. So the first time he says, he says, oh, if you'll wrap me in fresh ropes that have never been used. Oh, first, it's fresh ropes. Wrap me in fresh ropes, I'll be as weak as any man. So she caused him to go to sleep. I don't know how that worked, but she caused him to go to sleep. She wraps him up in these ropes and says, Samson, the Philistines are here. Bing, 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 bing. 
He throws everything off and luckily they didn't come in because he would have killed them. She says, oh, you don't love me because you won't tell me the truth. And he said, okay, okay. This time get ropes that have never been used. They're fresh ropes never been used. Wrap him up. Samson, the Philistines are here. Ping, 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 ping. Just kidding. Then she starts turning on the charm. You don't love me, Samson, because you won't tell me the truth. He's getting a little tired of this. So he says, okay, if you'll weave my hair into this kind of braided deal, I'll be as weak as any other man. He's getting real close to the truth, isn't he? So she weaves his hair. Samson! She wraps him up, ties him up. Philistine's here. Bing, 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 bing. Then the Bible says, she says, you hate me. You can't say you love me because you won't tell me the secret of your strength. And, and in chapter 16, verse 16, it says that his soul was sick to death of her nagging. Do not quote that, men. Remember what Nazarite vow number three is? Don't let chicks cut your hair. He has reached total rejection of his outward symbols of this inward decision of God. Total rejection. He says, if you'll shave my hair, I'll be as weak as any other man. So Delilah puts him to sleep again. Someone comes in, cuts off his hair. They tie him up. She says, the Philistines are upon you. He jumps up thinking that it's going to be like every other time. Saddest words in the Bible. Judges 16.20 But he did not realize the Lord had left him. Sin blinds us, it binds us, it grinds us. Sonny wasn't so sunny anymore. You know what they did next? They gouged out his eyes. They put him to work on a grain mill walking around and around in circles doing the work of an animal milling grain to feed his arch enemies. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking as, as he's blind, as God had left him, and as he's just walking in circles, feeding his enemies, what do you think went through his mind? Woulda, coulda, shoulda. <laughs> yeah, I think he regretted turning his back on God. I think he, he was thinking, this isn't where I intended to be when I went down to Timnah. Go talk to people in prison. Nobody intended to be there. Go talk to people whose lives have fallen apart. They didn't intend to be there. But they went down, looked around, you'll always be found. And then they were bound. While he's walking around, this, this, you got to hear this. Most tragic story is Samson's life, but you got to hear how faith... Verse 22. But before long, his hair began to grow back. Now, was his long hair a symbol? I mean, was it was this the, the, the secret of his strength, the hair? No, it was a symbol of his heart commitment before God. I think while he's walking around, he's humble. You never receive the power of God until you're humble. The reason so many people will not give their lives to Christ is pride. So God, God's not going to give you power until you're humble. The hair growing back was a symbol that his heart became soft before God and God began to work. 
So the Philistines say, oh, Dagon is our great God and he's delivered us from the God of the Philistines. So they have this party. And, and the temples of that day were, were built so that massive amounts of people could see the party. What they wanted to do was they wanted to bring Samson out, their arch enemy, and parade him around and cheer Dagon. Yay, Dagon! Samson comes out. He's blind. They're making fun of him. He says to the boy leading him around, he says, I'm tired. Can you, can you put me on the two main columns? See, he knew that the structure. He knew the architecture. He said, just let me rest on the pillars. So he's resting on the pillars. Everybody's having a great time. And he prays. There's only two recorded prayers of Samson in, in Scripture. First one, after he opened up a can, he was tired. And he says, God, I'm thirsty. And so God provides water. Second prayer is right here. He says, God, just this once, remember me and let me take vengeance for my eyes. And the Spirit of God came on him. He pushes the pillars. The temple collapses. And he killed over 3,000 Philistines. The Bible says that in his death, he killed more people than he had in his entire life. And this was actually the beginning of the end of the Philistines messing with the people of God. They're eventually wiped out under King David, but this was the beginning of the end. God didn't forget him. But, but here's the thing that I want you to learn from the life of Sonny. Two lessons from the life of Sonny. There's an extremely high cost for low living. Your sins will find you out. The second thing is it's never too late to go with God. 